Well, good morning. My name is Shane Sanders. I am your guest speaker. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And greetings from the other side. I'm here to tell you there is life after parenting. (laughs) We're in the middle of a series on family and parenting, and as a battle-scarred veteran of both, (laughs) uh, I've been asked to share a few war stories with you this morning. Now, Janet and I have successfully raised uh, three children and lived to tell the tale. (laughs) And you will survive, too, uh, even thrive uh, in your active parenting years. But I know from personal experience why Paul had to warn and admonish fathers on no less than two occasions not to exasperate their children. Because they exasperate him first. And dad is bigger and meaner. <laughs> but Paul also uh, compared his ministry to the parenting of a mother and of a father. Um, and so I'd like to read as we start here 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8 and 11 and 12. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would have that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Uh, A nursing mother and an exhorting father. Doesn't that show the balance in ministry, the balance in parenting even, the the roles and relationships, care on one hand, discipline on the other. Of course, mother and father involved in both. Um, It also shows that parenting is very similar to discipleship and disciple-making and, in fact, is part of disciple-making. You know, my longtime mentor, Ford Madison, was fond of saying, is fond of saying, that the family was, is God's original small group. <laughs> you know, but the real problem with kids, uh, though, is that they keep changing on you. And just as soon as you get things settled down, all of a sudden they change again, don't they? And their needs change, especially as they grow up. And so our parenting takes on multiple forms. Uh, but what could be more important than the high privilege of being entrusted by God with his most precious of creations, human beings, people, children, to raise, to love, to nurture, to mold, to shape into the mature, fruitful people he wants them to be. You know, there really is, I believe this with all my heart, there is no greater work for man on earth than investing in people and building up people and especially our own children. So I want to share with you this morning what I have found to be seven uh, critical areas of parenting. Let's call it practical parenting. Now, many of you in this room, I know, have also raised children, and you have much wisdom that you could share with us this morning as well. Um, So I'm just going to share what's uh, been meaningful to Janet and me, uh, a little bit of our parenting philosophy and our experiencing for what it's worth. So take it for what it's worth. But let me start by giving you a little background on who I am for those of you who don't know me. Um... I've been married to Janet for over 33 years. She'll be here in the next service. 33 wonderful years, let me say this. She is such, a, such an easy person to live with. And we have three children who are all adults now. My oldest son is Stuart. He is 28 years old. He is uh, responsible for um, the hiring and training of all the staff out at Frontier Camp now. So he's in the ministry. He's married to Anna, and they've been married now for about five years. They have uh, a daughter, one daughter, Anna, I'm sorry, Mallory, her name is Anna, and Mallory, of course, 
as any proud grandparent should say, is the cutest grandkid of all time. In fact, I was going to put her picture up here, but I thought, yeah, that might be taken a little far. I'd probably get dinged by, by Grant if I, if I tried that. So my second son is Daniel. He's 26. He's married to April. He's been married for almost three years. He's about to graduate from medical school here in May and move off and do his residency. And, and April's just a lovely, lovely young lady. And so we're happy to have her in the family. And my, my daughter is uh, 22, Susanna. She, um, she has just graduated from college last May and is working at uh, Citicorp up in, in the Dallas area, going to Watermark and plugged in. And it's got a great group of girls up there that she's hanging out with. So, so that's my family. So I've lived through this. So most of you know my, my last child left home a few years ago and graduated from college. So I'm free, free at last. <laughs> I have survived. I have survived parenting. <laughs> so um, let's start. We'll talk about what I consider to be the seven critical areas of parenting. The first one, of course, is love your children. That has to be number one, doesn't it? Now, we naturally love our children with a storge or a parental love, but there's a higher form of love I'm talking about, uh, agape love. Now, that takes us to a higher plane of life. See, I'm convinced that parenting has a tendency to expose and illuminate our innate self-centeredness. It presses us like a vice. It purifies us in an oven to make us more holy and more Christ-like and less selfish. There's no escaping it. You will either become less selfish and more holy, or you will fail miserably at parenting. And there will be ripples of impact to your children and beyond uh, if, if that's the case. So what is agape? Let's talk about it for a minute. I mean, you're familiar with it. We've talked about it before, and Grant's talked about it at times. It's a love that seeks the highest good of another. It's unconditional. It's unselfish, unearned, and self-sacrificing. Agape is a love of choice. Now, it's not referring to emotional affection or family bond. Now, you clearly want to show both of those to your children, both emotional affection and bond. You want family bond. But agape, which has a tendency to purify the other forms of love, uh, is really a term of choice. Love is a verb. Love is something that we do even when it doesn't necessarily feel good. It's not dependent or drawn out by a quality or characteristic in its object. It's not an impulse from feeling or a natural inclination. Agape originates from the very nature of God. And if you're a Christian, you have it only by the indwelling Holy Spirit. I believe that it does not otherwise exist in the natural world. That's why I think Jesus in John 13, 35 says, By this, by this one evidence, you will know that I'm for real and that Christianity is for real and that you, in fact, are a Christian by the way you agape each other, which tells me it doesn't otherwise exist in the world because it's the single best evidence of the reality of who Jesus is. It's also not necessarily reciprocal in nature. Kids may not appreciate it when you give it to them. Hmm? Experience that? Now, let me, brag on, uh, let me brag on Janet here, and it's a good thing she's not in the room because she hates it when I do this, and I'm going to pay for this later after the second service. But for many years, for almost 25 years, she's up early. She's making breakfast. She's running errands. She's taking kids to school, practice, events, endless numbers of things she's a she's might as well be a bus driver for all for years and years right um meals cooking clothes washing house cleaning 
serving our children for years and years with very little thanks till they got much older. And oh, and let me add, during this entire time, she had pretty severe insomnia, which means she couldn't go to sleep at night, and she'd just get up in the middle of the night and start crafting and painting things and doing other stuff and then be up early the next day, the next day. We're talking six days a week for nearly 25 years. See, that's how much, and I know you mothers, many of you do the exact same thing. See, that's agape. That's real agape when you're laying it on the line like that, serving your family and serving your children. It's give to have. It's give to give away. It's not give to get. (laughs) That's agape. It's seeking your children's best interests, but it may not make you popular, and it won't be convenient, and I can promise you it will be costly. Love your children like that. First and foremost, and that's number one, love your children. Number two, discipline your children. Now, discipline begins at a very early age as soon as that fallen and selfish, sinful nature shows itself, right? And if consistently applied through the childhood years, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, Hebrews twelve eleven. Now, we patiently discipline our children as the Lord also disciplines us, Hebrews twelve six and 10. Spankings and time out when they're young, loss of freedom and privileges as they get older, extra chores and work projects when they cost you money. <laughs> when I was a kid, and well before that, the watchword of traditional fathers was, kids are to be seen and not heard. Remember that? Any of y'all heard of that growing up? Yeah. Well, today, I think we've swung to the other extreme, and many kids are coddled and spoiled especially by parents who want to be liked or who want to be cool or who want their kids to be popular. But it's my opinion that we should neither be a Disney dad nor a grizzly dad. (laughs) You know, one of the things I most appreciate, uh, two of the things that I most appreciate about what my parents taught me were respect and responsibility. Respect and responsibility. Respect for those in authority, for all those in authority, starting with my parents and my teachers, and my pastors, and others, right? And personal responsibility for my actions. I I firmly believe that if we do not teach these things to our children, they will pay a high price later in life as adults. Respect and responsibility. But let me at the same time say that discipline is not the same as unloading your anger on your children when they frustrate you, uh, or taking out your frustrations on your kids. I think it's similar to the way the Holy Spirit disciplines us. You know, when we sin, he puts his finger on a very specific act and deals with it, calls us to repent. Satan, on the other hand, over that very same thing, condemns us generally. See, you're a bad person because you've done this. That's not the way God disciplines, and that's not the way we should discipline. But our children need to learn that there are very real consequences for their actions. Now, Daniel, for example... (laughs) had to work off a large share of the cost of um, ramming the family van into a curb when he thought he was real cute, parking it one day, going over to his friend's house. And it, it bent the frame. He had to work that off. <laughs> it took him quite a bit of time to work that off. Stuart, on the other hand, has the distinction of hitting all three of my cars at the same time in the driveway. Yes. His little Ranger truck, as he was trying to move it around, bumped my Mazda that then bumped Janet's car. I didn't lose it, and I have a witness. Kathy Smith was in her breakfast room across the way, saw the whole thing. (laughs) On that occasion, I didn't lose it. (laughs) 
But later I'll say this, and I can say this from experience, your children will respect you and even thank you for the discipline you gave them when they were younger, especially when they compare it against what they see in some of their friends who didn't get the same kind of discipline, had freedom, but as they've got older, they're paying the price for not having grown up with just basic discipline. I've experienced this firsthand. Number three, play with your children. What your children want and need more than any material thing that you can give them is your time and attention. Fathers have to spend a lot of time at work, don't they? Um, and providing for their families, etc. But too often we find our primary significance in our work and we ignore our kids. That is so tragic in my opinion. Remember the old song, the Harry Chapin song, Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue and the Man in the Moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Of course, you know the song, he never does, he never does come home and the sun goes off and becomes just like him. With my sons, when they were young, it was, uh, it was Nerf Wars in the den, pass routes in the front yard, playing horse out in the driveway. Uh, we used to do a lot of slow motion wrestling on the rug in the den, and then Susanna would come and dive on the big pile. Of course, we had to stop because we were afraid we were going to break her. <laughs> you know, as they got older, they got into sports and Little League and all kinds of things, and so I had op- uh, volleyball, basketball, football, you name it, we did it. <laughs> And, uh, and so I got to do all that with them, and that was a lot of fun. It let us spend a lot of time together. They got to learn the value of teamwork and perseverance. They got to use their talents. We had a lot of fun doing things. Now, let me say this. Uh, I was not attempting to live vicariously through them either. Um, but even now, we, uh, we still play tennis together with my sons, and we play disc golf. And, uh, and when we go off to Colorado or New Mexico, we always pass through and stay at Amarillo. We always go up to Amarillo High, and we kick field goals and punt and pass. And yes, I admit it, I vacation in Amarillo from time to time, Brian Davis. <laughs> and, you, and with Janet and Susanna, it was crafts, it was sewing, and of course, shopping, right? Although I have recently learned that one of their closest friends does not enjoy shopping, and I wonder how did I miss that? <laughs> Theme birthday parties, cowboys, soldiers, football, basketball, bikes, piñatas, pool parties, you name it. Just something to make their birthday special and do fun things with them through the years. And let me say this. Take regular vacations with your kids while they're young. See the beach. See the mountains. Have fun. Build memories. And most of all, visit the major historical sites in Virginia. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Do things that they would like to do, that your wife would like to do. Mix it up. It builds relationships. It builds family bonds. Play with your children. Number four, know your children. One size does not fit all. Your children have unique personalities, talents, interests, temperaments, and characters. Be a student of your child's temperament and their personality and their character. Stuart is an extrovert. Uh, and a sanguine choleric, very outgoing. Daniel, on the other hand, is a little more introverted. He's phlegmatic, but he's extremely smart, extremely uh, in, uh, introspective. Uh, Susanna is more extroverted and choleric, very, and sanguine as well. Uh, each of them will communicate differently. Each will respond to correction and discipline differently. Each is motivated differently. Uh, and we've related to each of them differently. They won't be like you. They won't be like each other. 
And, and you know, we didn't make them uh, fulfill our unmet dreams. We let them be who they were, who God made them to be. We helped them find what they were interested in to develop their interests and strengths where God had gifted them. But along the way, and so we gave them lots of encouragement. We challenged them to fulfill the potential that God had given them. But we also stayed informed of who their friends were, what they were interested in, who they admire, what they value. And, you know, speaking to the fact that your kids are a little bit different, it showed up very early as Stuart, you know, the little, the little trains that your kids will push in the living room when they're kids. Uh, we had one of those, and Stuart would often ram it into the couch. And so what was his response to that? Back up, ram it again. The couch will get out of the way sooner or later. Daniel, on the other hand, two years later, would take that same little train, hit it once, back up, go around. We knew then they weren't the same. They were a little bit different. Uh, we've taught them to respect their siblings' different strengths. You know, Susanna, being the youngest, saw her brothers, had a number of different strengths, and they were very different from each other. But she says, well, what am I good at? She would go home and ask Janet, what am I good at? And Janet helped her see where her strengths were and not to ever compare herself to her brothers. And so we also taught our kids never to compare themselves in their grades, in their sports, their activities, their looks, anything. They all have equal value and no favorites. Treat them all and love them all the same. Number five, train your children. Parents are and should be the most influential people in the lives of their children. We get to mold and shape them into the adults they will become. You also control, to a large extent the other influences in their lives for a while, (laughs) what they do, who they hang out with, where they go, what they get involved in, and all of that matters. Um, We get to help them through the minefields of youth, right? And they need lots and lots of encouragement. Take the initiative, though, to speak into their lives. Remember, no one ever lost an argument with themselves, (laughs) And that was true of my sons, and he quoted that one back to me a few years later. You're right, Dad. No one's ever lost an argument with themselves. Address areas of sin and selfishness that retard their progress to maturity. And don't worry about whether or not they like you. They won't like you for a season, <laughs> uh, especially if, when they're teenagers. Teach them to develop godly habits, uh, manners, attitudes, and behavior. We taught our children how to have, have a, how to have a quiet time on their own, how to read and study the Bible, how to pray. We prayed with them. We studied the Bible with them. Family devotions. Mixed it up. Did lots of different kinds of things. On vacations, we had uh, contests over Scripture memory as my sons were working through the TMS at one time when they were about 11, 12. And uh, they were also into baseball cards. So if they could get a pack right, they would earn a free set of baseball cards. So we'd do that in the car back in the old days when you didn't have TV and multi-entertainment in your car. You had to do creative things to keep your kids from killing each other in the car on long trips. (laughs) Um, Use the circumstances and experiences of everyday life as opportunities to teach life lessons to your children. Talk to your kids even when they're teenagers and don't particularly want to talk to you. Even if that window doesn't stay open very long, be there for them. Um, One of the things we learned early on from one of our first pastors down at uh, Grace Bible Church was that 
especially when they're teenagers, uh, your kids, the window may not open as often, but when it does, you've got to drop what you're doing and stop and talk. So even if that's late at night and they come in and say, Dad, I want to talk to you about something, or, or they just open up, start talking. You stop what you're doing and you listen to them. Um, you know, as parents, we always want to give advice and talk at them, and we should give them advice, but at the same time, uh, as they get older, listen to them more and more. Uh, let them express themselves so you find out where they're coming from and who they are and who they're becoming. You know, but at the same time, uh, don't pressure your kids to open up. You know, you've, they've got to feel comfortable. They've got to feel safe enough to open up to you. Let them know, though, the door's always open. Um, and I can remember at a, at a point where I felt like Stuart was kind of and they do this, late, late high school, they start kind of pulling their way to establish their own identity. And I talked to an older lawyer about it once, and he said, nah, that's pretty normal. He says, they'll, they'll pull away some late high school, but they'll come back to you about mid-college. And I found that to be exactly true. And now Stuart and I are very close. Uh, and we always were, but, you know, we went through a season there, as, as you do with many teenagers. You know, one of the things I like to think about is that your kids are like a blank hard drive and you have the privilege of installing the software on them that they will use for the rest of their life. And it does make a difference, I promise you. Whether they know it or not or realize it or not, years later you will see. Parents, have you seen some of this? What you invest in your children early on will come back to fruition later in life as they get older. Um, you know, and when they're young, we mostly tell them what to do. But when, as they get older, uh, we want to help them learn to make good decisions for themselves more and more. Now, here's a simple example. When my kids were really young. I want to go see this movie. No. <laughs> no, there's, there's things in that movie I don't want you to put in your mind. Now, as they get older, they're teenagers. Hey, Dad, can we go to this movie? Have you looked it up on, uh, the, what is it, IMBD and read the review? Uh, no, just all my friends have gone. Well, why don't you read it and see if it, how, it, how it fits with your values and, and what we think. Okay, no, you're right. I'm not going to see that one. You know, so it's just a little example of, of uh, learning to make good decisions for themselves because that's what they're going to do when they're adults, right? So hopefully you're teaching them how to do that as they get older. Help them process. Also, though, let them suffer the consequences of their actions. You know, if you're always bailing out your kids, they're going to develop a false sense of reality, and they won't develop into mature, responsible adults. Now, I'll say that, and at the same time, I'm going to say that you're also something of a net beneath them, and you're trying to keep them from causing themselves uh, irreversible damage sometimes. So it's kind of, a, kind of a balance there, I'd say, at times. We want to promote well-rounded, mature development in all essential areas of life. You don't want your kids to be lopsided. You want them to be fully developed mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, and, of course, spiritually. Help them discover how God has fashioned them and help them become everything He wants them to be, not everything you want them to be. There is a difference. <laughs> Model what you teach. Inspire and lead them. They believe it more if they see it in you. Remember, things are better caught than taught. Number six, bear with your children. Your kids will challenge and at times frustrate you. I know, I'm telling you something you don't know, especially as they get older and reach that stage when they're not quite adults, but they're no longer children. They're sort of in that in-between time, right? 
but hang in there with them. Even if you feel like they're pulling away a little bit or even if they're not opening up to you as much as you would like for them to do. Don't ever give up on your kids. Just be there for them. Even if you don't think, even if they don't think they need you, they do need you. Remember, though, you're not their buddies, okay? You're not their buddies. You're their parents, even though, and they're also your closest relatives besides your wife. But don't manipulate or guilt your children into expected behavior. It, I promise you it will backfire on you, and I've seen that happen. Your kids won't be perfect, but you need to be their biggest fan. You need to believe in your children even when they fail. Because if you don't believe in them, who will? And at the same time, there are times when they need to know that their attitudes and behavior are wrong or inappropriate or selfish or sinful because you seek their highest good. You're willing to speak into their lives. We parents have an opportunity to make the biggest impacts on our children. The biggest impacts on our children. At the same time, though, we don't want to be the source of their biggest hang-ups later. I've seen that happen. Remember, agape bears all things, hopes for the best, and never quits. Bear with your children. And then finally, number seven, pray for your children. One of the things that most impresses me about the Apostle Paul's ministry is that I don't know how he keeps up with how he kept up with so many different people. You read you read many of his epistles and he'll say things like every time I think about you I pray for you and then he'll name specific things he's praying for them. Like how do you keep up with that many people? Uh, and then he'll go on to give specific advice in each of his letters to that particular church and those particular people over, over issues they were struggling with and dealing with. But at the same time, he's always backing it up with how much he prays for them. So, so there's sort of a balance between however much advice he gives, he also spends just as much time praying for them. And I think parents should do the same thing. We see that Paul was heavily engaged in the lives of people, but he understands that it's all the Lord's work. It's always all the Lord's work accomplished by his power. You know, in a sense, I think Paul had an understanding of the air war and the ground war, and he was always involved in air war being prayer, the ground war being, you know, his discipling and ministering to others. And I think that's true for parents as well. Prayer is a constant for our kids, and you never seem to get past that even as they get older. Uh, we still pray regularly for our children. I think God just wires us that way. And, and our prayers are, are focused, they're intentional, they're purposeful, they're specific. You know, over the years, we've had many bouts of prayer, Janet and I, over character and relationship issues, uh, safety and welfare issues, direction and growth issues. And God's always been faithful. I can say that. He's always been faithful. Has it always worked out like we want it? Of course not. Things happen, don't they? We live in a fallen world. But I can say that uh, God is always good, and Romans 8.28 is always true. <laughs> but remember this. You are your child's primary intercessor. You are your child's number one intercessor. Pray for their lives. Pray for their development, their faith, their grades, <laughs> their travels, their relationships, their future spouses, anything and everything regularly all the time pray for your kids and follow 
Paul's example in praying for the Philippians uh, in Philippians 1, 3 through 7 here. And I'll close with this. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all since I have you in my heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning and we think about our children and we think about uh, the blessings that you've entrusted us with, Lord, we're just, we're humbled. Um, We pray that you would empower us and empower the parents in this room, Lord, to love their children, to discipline their children and bless their children and to, to train them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. It's a, it's, it's a great and overwhelming task at times, Lord, and it seems to go on for a long time. It really doesn't go on for that long. You've given us a season, Lord, um, to invest in, and to build and to discipline and train children and to love them. And, Lord, uh, we're just thankful for that opportunity. We pray that you would, you would work through our children, that you would strengthen us for the, for the great task that you've given us, and that you would glorify yourself and build your church and glorify yourself in your kingdom. Uh, through us and through the children that you give us. And, and to, until the time that Jesus returns and through all our descendants and their descendants, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.